the new year with our first quarterly fundraising drive. We do our pledge drives throughout the year, and this week I will be joined with Willie Marquette and possibly a couple of call-in from our co-hosts. Every week, Bronzewan brings you the very best in bluegrass music, but we need your help to keep this happening. Our current pledge drive is going on all week long. I and Willie will be on Bronzewan on Thursday, February 28th from 8 to 10 p.m. to take your pledge. And I have created two very special bluegrass premium packages that will go to two lucky winners of our drawing at the end of each hour of the program. But you're going to have to tune in to hear what's in those special packages. All you need to do to enter the drawings is call in during Bronze Round. We love for you to make a pledge, but it is not necessary. And it'll all be right here on Community Radio. That's WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and on the web at WERU.org. See you Thursday. The beautiful state of Maine. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from George Stevens Academy, welcoming students to discover their world. More information at georgestevensacademy.org. You're listening to WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and WERU.org. We're a voice of many voices. We are volunteer-powered and also listener-supported. Don't forget that. 1-800-643-6273 makes that all possible. It's time for Let's Talk Animals. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, from aardvarks to zebras. We are live here today, so if you have any questions or comments coming up, just call 469-0500. If you'd like to make a pledge this week, please call 469-6600 or 800-643-6273. I always make a plug for my Sunday uh, pet talk show at 730. I'm still doing those after about eight years. Uh, got some interesting uh, topics coming up, so please listen in at 7.30 if you're awake on Sundays. Uh, but today I'm real excited uh, because my guest is going to take me into the 21st century, uh, kicking and crying and screaming, but I'm going to do it. Uh, we have here today Casey Okanovich. That's close enough, yeah, Okanovich. O- Okanovich, Okanovich, and I'll never say that again. I was just going to Casey. <laughs> uh, Casey... Um, is a graduate student at the University of Maine, and he is here today to talk about using apps for uh, getting to know your woodlot or the woods better, I guess would be a good way of saying that. Uh, good morning, Casey. Oh, morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. It's, it's, I know you're busy being a graduate student, oh. all the studying and stuff, uh, but I'm glad you came down. Uh, first of all, I'd like to t- have you um, share with the listeners my First question I always I ask my listeners is how you got here mm-hmm. from there. Uh, yeah, I well I grew up in southern Maine, so um, being in the woods and out in the woods has always been something that I've been heavily involved in, and always wanted to do something in the outdoors and in science. And um, I ended up getting my uh, my bachelor's degree at Old Dominion University in Virginia, um, and in, that was in geography and 
and uh, in environmental geography specifically. So for, is that area in Virginia kind of like Maine? In terms of not the not at all. Oh, um, it's a coastal community um, right on the Chesapeake Bay, so kind of like marshlands and a lot warmer of a climate. Um, but it was kind of a really, it was a good opportunity to do um, a different kind of environment there. But um, I always wanted to, to come back to Maine. So when it came time for me to uh, to pursue a graduate degree, it was kind of at the forefront of my mind that I wanted to come back to Maine. And it just turned out to be a really great situation with my current advisor. Good. How did you find your advisor? Uh, a lot of searching, um, going through a lot of different graduate programs, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, what I wanted to explore. Um, and uh, my advisor is Jessica Leahy, um, and she runs the Human Dimensions of, Nat- of Forestry Lab at the university. And uh, we just kind of had a preliminary conversation talking about what she does, and she does a lot of work with rural communities in Maine. I'm looking at a lot of social aspects of forestry issues, and that's kind of exactly where I wanted to be. I'd spent a lot of time in kind of, you know, the, the hard sciences, as they say, and I really wanted to focus on something that had people kind of at the forefront of the sociological environ- aspect. Exactly. Very yeah. Interesting. Which uh, is kind of what your master's degree, you, you got mm-hmm. your master's uh, recently at UMaine. Yep. Right? Congratulations. Thank you. That's, that's a big one. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I defended last April. Wow. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was a big one. And just give us uh, we're going to get to the apps, but this is kind of a preliminary because yeah. it has to do with uh, um, computers and stuff. So just yeah, and just shortly, what briefly, what did you do with your masters? So yeah, with my masters, um, originally the project started out as us wanting to kind of gauge what people's um, level of acceptance was when it comes to prescribed fire, using fire as a tool, as a forest management tool to, you know, kind of clear out the brush or whatnot. Burning the fields in the spring, we see that a lot. Yeah, burning blueberry fields, yeah, stuff like that. Um, But it kind of just evolved into looking at different forms of communication as a way of, like, measuring that acceptance or as kind of a way of communicating forest-type information. And so uh, it turned out into... uh, project that kind of looked at virtual reality as a communication tool in forestry and so we with a bunch of uh, really great collaborators and artists and things like that we kind of designed this uh, 360 degree virtual reality room where we brought our research participants in to so it's look like at, a room like yeah. the size of this like a 10 just, by 12 yeah well a little bigger than this actually okay. um but yeah it was just a big square room and on all four sides we had video going of a prescribed fire so the participants basically come into the room and you're just dropped right in the middle of a prescribed fire and you get to see it kind of move through the forest is it just visual or did it have auditory too? it had audio Some... audio as well yeah so you okay. hear the fire coming through it gets louder as the it gets closer yeah the crackling the the burning yeah and you get to see the smoke um, and so that was kind of one of the interesting aspects that I wanted to look at too was are there differences in the way that people think about prescribed fire based on the differences in smoke? Um, so within that virtual reality component, I like went in and with um, some of my collaborators, we enhanced like the levels of smoke for some participants versus the visual, others. The visual smoke. Yeah. So, so as some, I was reading it, I couldn't figure that out. They're yeah. smelling it. They're just seeing it. Yeah, they're just seeing it. Yeah. Okay. So some participants, when they were seeing the video of the prescribed fire, they were seeing video that had enhanced smoke so there's more smoke than maybe would normally be there for prescribed fire just look into measures like if there's differences between those acceptance and those smoke levels so so this was kind of a a model 
for using virtual reality natural mm-hmm. things and measuring human responses. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you can you can now expand to other aspects. Yeah, the okay. the original idea came from one of my collaborators at the U.S. Forest Service who is using 360 degree virtual reality to um, kind of communicate um, long term impacts of agriculture in Vermont uh, associated with maybe different scenarios of of where the climate is going to be in 50 to 100 years or whatnot. So, wow. Yeah. So now you're getting your PhD. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Big step. <laughs> yes. It's uh, uh, congratulations on pursuing that. That's, Thank you. That's awesome. So you are pursuing this virtual reality or you're doing something with, did you tell me, ticks? Yeah. Which is, I think, interest, will be of interest to our listeners. Yeah. So moving a little bit away from the fire and the VR stuff, um, my current project is going to be, um, it's pretty complex where it is right now, but it's just essentially basically looking at, yeah, tick management in the state of Maine. Tick management. Yeah. Particularly how. Not community- tick farms. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's mostly particularly how, like, uh, communities are dealing with ticks, with this increase in tick risk and things like that. So does that include uh, town um, councils or does it include uh, private groups, volunteer groups? And what? Uh, I'm still in the process of drafting the proposal, so it remains <laughs> to be seen. But okay. right now we're thinking it, it probably will revolve around what you're the former, the, the town council aspect of it. Like, okay. What types of information are towns using to make decisions about what they're going to do about ticks in their communities? And yeah, and those types of things. Are there differences in different towns in the way that they're reacting to this new risk? Or yeah, those types of issues. You've also got the private. Oh. Mm-hmm. Private landowners yeah. have to be part of this. Exactly. So the town becomes kind of a a source of information. Yeah. And you can be a source of information for the town. I think that's what makes this case in Maine so unique and interesting because a lot of other states are dealing with this tick issue, but not a lot of other states have to deal with it and also have to kind of understand the like the context, the historical context of Maine having a lot of private land ownership because yes. it's very different than a lot of parts of the country. And the, the, and the, the ecology, the forestry, mm-hmm. uh, ticks prefer certain areas. Definitely. So just because you have a woodlot doesn't mean you have a lot of ticks. No, not necessarily. Like a pine stand may not have, for instance, very many ticks. Yeah, and that's um, what some of the other collaborators in the project are focusing on, more biological and ecological aspects, and that's what they're looking at. Are there ways of managing a forest that can reduce the amount of ticks that you have, or are there different types of forests that are more conducive to breeding ticks and things like that? And as you're setting this up, uh, new tick species are coming into, mm-hmm. I think, a longhorn uh, yeah, or, the, this, um... or this lone star. <clears throat> One of those Texas, both of them, both I of think them are both coming them. up, and some yes. of them carry... All the diseases, they not just a couple, they carry all of them, and one of them is kind of aggressive. Uh, when you get into an area where they are, they mm-hmm. kind of go towards you rather than just wait for you to brush by. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one um, as much, but I do know, yeah, that the, the, the I think it's the Asian longhorn tick is kind of, um, there have been some sightings reported, and then there's also been some confirmations of uh, the Lone Star tick having a presence in Maine, and I know there's been a lot of kind of news attention focused on that because of uh, 
the implications of that with the um, the meat allergy that could potentially come with yes, the long Yes, exactly. Now, this is an interesting concept because right now they found certain foci, in other words, certain areas that have it, but you, we can't conclude that they're reproducing mm-hmm. there. They could have just been brought in. That's true. So yeah. that would be part of your part of your uh, study mm-hmm. is is dealing with that with the species that hasn't established themselves versus presence presence versus establishing potentially yeah it would be interesting to see if communities are creating management strategies based around different species of ticks yeah because that's one of the issues with the lone stars we don't really know is there actually like a, a population presence here in the state or are people traveling and bringing right. it back with them um, are they surviving the winter, that sort of thing? Yeah, right. That's one of the big ones. Yeah. Is, yeah are they surviving? So let's bring ourselves down to the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, apps. Uh, your listeners, my listeners going to have to be patient with me because I know nothing about anything. Uh, my wife and kids are always – I'm always going to them for help. So I'm assuming that there's at least one other listener in this area that knows as, as little as I do. So let's start what an app is, just generally what an app is. Sure. Um, well, there are two different types of basic applications. There are applications that you have like on your computer, your laptop, or your desktop, and those are just the different functions that you run. You know, Microsoft Office programs, for example, those are applications okay, on your so laptop. Right. Um, but then the the ones that I focused on for, for this project were um, mostly mobile apps, which are basically downloadable software that can provide, based on what the app is, a variety of functions for you. So you, you, you can search out mm-hmm. a function. It'd be on, online. And you can do that on your phone now. Yes, right? so every... Um, Depending on the type of phone you have, if you have Apple products, you can find these apps on the, the Apple Store, on the Apple App Store. Um, for Android products, there's like a Google Play Store um, and so on and so forth. And I think it's the same for Google phones and stuff like that. And yeah, so depending on the product you have, you can go so to So who – we're going to be talking about apps on ticks and flowers and blah, 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 <laughs> all, all sorts. But yeah. who – does someone sit down at a desk and like put it in? How's, how's an app made? The apps that we're talking about. Yeah, so they're they're programs. They're made by usually by computer programmers who have a lot more knowledge than I do about code and about how to make those types of things happen within the software. But how do they know the information to put on? Like they're not all experts on bees or birds. Or- no, that's true. So I know like for some of these apps, like for example. Um, for some of the birding apps that I wrote about, um, like Audubon and Peterson and stuff like that. Um, I, I think that a lot of the information is translated from their web pages onto the mobile app so that it's easier for mobile users to navigate rather than them having to go on the website. Because sometimes there can be like functionality differences between when you look at a website on your phone and when you look at a website like on a desktop or something. Um, so I think a lot of these are translated by the programmers from websites, and then I think they also get a lot of input from people who work within like these other organizations because a lot of these apps are affiliated with professional like natural resource organizations. So they'll go to Audubon and say, "Okay, I'll mm-hmm. make an app for you. Yeah, give or, me information." Right, or Audubon will like hire a company to yeah create an app okay. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that makes sense. 
And are these uh, are these apps free? Some of them are. Um, I would I wrote a lot of these articles with um, keeping in mind that especially with landowners who don't have a lot of familiarity with apps, they probably aren't going to want to spend a lot of money on apps. So um, I think when I was doing these articles for Maine Woodland owners, I think that I was trying to keep most of the apps under $10 so that there were no apps over $10 on there. Um, there was some talk about doing articles about apps that were beyond that, but I just wasn't sure how much landowners would actually want to spend that kind of money on something that they're really unfamiliar with. And is that like buying a record? Once you pay the ten bucks, you have it forever. Or is yes, it, it's not a monthly. No, a little um, secret uh, fine print. There are some apps that have like monthly subscriptions associated with them. Um, like off the top of my head, I know like a lot of music streaming apps nowadays, for example, you right? Get monthly subscriptions, um, but they'll tell you. Yeah, they'll usually tell you up front. Um, I don't think any of these apps um, that that I wrote about have any monthly okay, subscriptions. Good. Here with Casey, a graduate student who is uh, uh, fairly uh, knowledgeable about using apps to help analyze your backwoods. Uh, if you would like a question or a comment, call it 469-0500, 469-0500. want to talk to him. So uh, because we're talking about ticks, we have a, you've done – there are a lot of apps out. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to have time to cover them all. But the first one is a – Best tick identification apps for the woodlands. Um, so tell us, there's two that you had listed, or two or three, actually four. So yeah. maybe you can go over those and some of the reasons why you would want them because there's some really neat features. Some of them do have some it's pretty really, cool features. So, let's, uh, so I guess what I'm trying, again, trying to visualize. So when you get this app on your phone, you can go out into your yard mm -hmm. And use the app. Definitely. Okay, so, so when you're telling, so some of these apps you can take pictures and things like that, and hopefully you'll fill us in. Yeah. With the app, so tell us about the tick apps first. Sure. Um, tick season's coming. Yeah. So I think there's three major ones that I think are particularly useful in Maine. Um, so the first one I wrote about was Tick Check ID, which I believe actually has since – the name has since changed to Tick um, Encounters since I wrote these articles. Okay. Um, but I think the this app I liked because it was particularly innovative. Um, so it has information descriptions about various types of ticks along their different life cycle stages too because – that can be kind of difficult to figure out, you know. Do they describe them in a in a way that a vernacular <clears throat> that the regular it's yeah landowner will understand? I think yeah, it is okay. supposed to be for the kind of the lay person who okay. maybe does not have an expertise on this sort of issue. Um, but the other cool thing is that they also have information about um, diseases and about tick removal techniques as well. So if you have a tick attached to you, you can go on there and you can look for techniques to get that tick removed from you. Or if you're becoming concerned that you haven't been by a tick and you're concerned about disease risk, you can look at the different diseases and the symptoms associated with them to determine if you should go seek you know, medical attention or anything like that. Um, and the other thing is that they do provide a free identification service where you, I think you upload a picture and within a certain amount of time they will have a person who works at a lab in Pennsylvania who will look at the tick for you. So you don't even have to send it out? Just take no, you don't. 
Yeah, it tells you what part because the top and sometimes you, you got to take the picture of the bottom of it as well. But so top is the main thing. I think so. Yeah, I don't know if it had any specific information about it, but other than just a clear photo of a tick. So cool. Yeah, probably the top because that's the thing that's where most of the patterning is for yeah. identification. Very good. So you you like that one? I do like that one. Yes, um, it's free. Um, I think the downside to that app, though, is that it is kind of exclusive. At least when I was testing these, it was exclusive to Android users. So for Apple users, it could be potentially um, a problem if you're not able to get that one. But there are some other apps that I wrote about just to consider that for people who don't have Androids. Um, Tick ID was another one of them. It's free for both Android and Apple users, um, and this one is. It's not near. It's not as complicated, or it doesn't have as many features. But it does, I think, do a really good job of having like a very simple and straightforward way of identifying the ticks. Um, and I think it also has descriptions of the diseases of the ticks and photos for you to kind of reference. Um, and also has some information and tips about removing ticks. So if you're applying for a tick, huh, applying for an app, yeah, and you have an apple. Mm-hmm. And you look up, let's let's say one that doesn't accept it. Well, it'll just the phone will just say, or your computer just say, we can't load so it. So if yeah, what? so if you're like so like if I was to look at one of these, look, like search for one of these apps, and they weren't prov- available by Apple or Android or something, it just wouldn't show up on the store. Um, the stores only like in an Apple store when you go to search for apps or the Android store when you search for apps, they only show up apps that are available for that okay. platform. <clears throat> okay, so I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Everyone else probably in the listening area knows oh. that, but I didn't. So that's so the second tick ID is, is not bad. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as comprehensive, um, but it does do IDs mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Now, to do the ID, do you take a – do you have to just have the tick in hand and then you – like any It's kind of like book? a guidebook, yeah. It's like a guidebook. Exactly. Okay, so it's not like you take the picture. Mm-mm. Because there's certain bird ones you can take the picture. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. And it can ID the bird. Yeah, there are some really interesting bird ones. Okay, that's yeah. we'll, we'll get into that. We'll definitely get into that. Yeah. But that, that that feature is not for the tick. No. Which would be nice. It would be nice. Because they're hard to ID. I think, yeah. So it has been, I should add that it, it was about a, a little over a year ago that I did write these. But So there might be newer ones out there. Um, but I think that this is an area that a lot of people are trying to create innovative things. So I think there could be some really, from what I've heard, there could be some really interesting tick apps in the pipeline That's in really the future. Because cool. this is kind of getting more and more relevant yeah. to people. And I say, and it's hard to ID if you don't yeah. know what you're, you know, if you don't have the background. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't. Just take the picture, boom. But even now, you, uh, the way they at the ID book kind of thing, mm-hmm. they'll say, does it have this? Does it have that? Yeah. Okay, so it's fairly simple. Yeah. Then there's a, a Zika? Zika? Yeah, so this one I included. Um, this was a, um, a European-based app. Um, it really wasn't extremely relevant for, for Mainers, I thought. Um I think the last one that I that I wrote about um, was pretty pretty good. I mean, the good thing about the the 
that Ziki one, the European one, was that it has like a diary tool where you can kind of collect sightings for ticks or report on locations, which might be good, I thought, if you had a woodlot and you were trying to maybe identify locations on your woodlot where you have a, like higher presence of ticks and you might want to do something about it. Um, so it's the only one out of these three that has kind of like a mapping tool. So the mapping is just for yourself? Yes, it's you kind of for your You don't share audience. it with other people like some other apps? Like yeah, other, we'll no. Okay. Right. There are some apps though, yeah, that you're able to do that. Which we'll talk about in a minute. So this one doesn't have that. But you can – you find a tick by the fence mm-hmm. and you can mark it on your – yeah. Own, like so, touch the fence from a global. So computer. on the app, it'll have like it's just basically used by GPS. So you'll be oh. able. So kind of like if you're looking at like Google Earth or something like that, it'll have kind of a map, and you can put like markers, like checkpoints, kind of almost. And within those checkpoints, you can add little descriptions. So you could kind of put a little pin down on a location okay. on your property and write, you know, saw this on my property. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. And a line map is a yeah. So line map is a really good one. Um, line map is kind of a citizen science initiative from the Lyme disease and related co-infections mapping project. Um, and so the my line map is basically a citizen science. So it's citizens who have the app going in there and marking geographic locations of basically of Lyme disease of of currences of people getting Lyme disease and where they've gotten Lyme disease. So this would be something that you could go on and you can actually look at a map of basically self-reported Lyme disease instances. So if you had Lyme, Mm -hmm. you had this app, you would say, I have Lyme at 1 Main Street, Orland. And then someone could come onto that app Mm -hmm. and see, okay, I'm in Orland. Who has – so they could use your – that's, that's not a personal, that's shared. No, no, I don't think there's any um, personal information that okay. the user should be seeing. But the, it's more just like, oh, I can see all of where it's occurring. Okay. And I guess that'd be useful for anybody. I mean, if you kind of want to know. It could be, yeah, if you're, yeah, I mean. Because not every chick has Lyme. I no. Mean, you know, it's only, so it's just not a given. Right. So kind of give you the hot spots. Yeah, yeah, and I think. I mean, in Maine, I think it's particularly relevant because I think Lyme is probably the disease that people are focusing the right. most on. Right. And as I think as time goes on, uh, they'll be looking at uh, Ehrlichia, Anaplasma, yeah. a Rocky Mountain spotted, uh, Powassan viruses coming yeah, in. That's Powassan. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's really dangerous stuff. Yeah and, yeah, and the crazy thing about like Powassan and Anaplasma and Lyme is that they're all, they can all be transmitted from the same type right. of tick, yeah. which is it's pretty crazy. They're loaded. Mm-hmm. We, uh, a long time ago, I read a study where they took a bunch of ticks and they, they crushed them up. Oh, yeah. And into like just some mush. And then they um, looked under the microscope and they found organisms. They, could, they found organisms that they didn't even know. They couldn't even identify mm. what they are. So there's, I think there's even more diseases out there that we don't even know they're there, but we don't know about yet. Yeah. So that's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. So this this app would be very useful for – you don't have to have a woodlot. You just be, no, not necessarily. You no. could be in the suburbs. Yeah, you could just be somebody who – yeah, or, or even in an urban area who just likes – enjoys hiking and spends time in the outdoors and wants to So that could include, uh, let's say, go to Great Pond Mountain. Yeah. A lot of people hike up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
if they found a tick, they could if they had the app, they could put it there. Yeah. And someone else could look at Great Ponds and see. So that it doesn't have to be your own lot. It could be anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're not limited to anywhere on earth. No, yeah, you yeah. Yeah, it's a and it's a nationwide. The the line map is nationwide as well. So it's not just main focused. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Well then let's um because the birding seems to be a fairly well um, established app, I think they've been around for a while. Yeah, well, one of the older ones, the the birds. Well, I think the a lot of the companies that are or the organizations that are involved with the birding apps have been around for a while and have a lot of expertise. Um, Audubon and uh, Peterson, I'm sure a lot of people listening have guidebooks from think, those organizations i think if you if you don't have a peterson book there's <laughs> they're gonna get reported <laughs> and audubon's good too i mean they're all they're all good there's a the mm-hmm. couple it really depends on what you how you like the pictures um yeah and the drawings uh so we have uh we're, gonna, we're coming to a break pretty soon but i think we can talk for a couple minutes about the, the bird apps yeah um why don't you just share with our listeners, the different bird apps that you are mm-hmm. familiar with and the highlights of each one because some, sure. some have better things than others. So I think my my personal favorite, and it's also a personal travesty because I have an Apple and I don't have an Android device, <laughs> but is um, the Merlin oh. app, which is a, um, a free Android app um, created by the University of Cornell's uh, Ornithology Lab. Which is world-renowned. Yes, it is, and this app is is really quite amazing because it doesn't only um, it's not only like an ID tool for you to use if you're trying to identify a bird, but you can also it's also location based, so it try, has your GPS location, and so when you go to search for a bird, it will limit your search by based on your GP, GPS location, so it won't show you any birds that aren't don't have a habitat in your area. Oh. So it, it's, it makes it much easier than just looking through, you know, like a thousand-page guidebook and be like, where do I even start? If you don't have a lot of ne- expertise about birds, so, so like, like a good example, like the sparrows. Yes. And so you look at a sparrow, exactly, and you think you found it, and you look at the uh, in the guidebook <laughs> where the zone is. Yeah. And they're not even they're like in California. I same thing. <laughs> same thing happens to me all the time when yeah. I'm looking out of my bird feeders. I'm like, oh, okay, that must be this, but oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, that lives out west. <laughs> it's, it's never been here. Yeah. Ever. So then you start to thumb th- so so it identifies birds that are only there. Yeah, so that's one aspect of it. It also has lots of photographs, both from the University of Cornell's Ornithology Lab, but also that the users put on themselves. So you can get a lot of different angles of the birds in flight um, without, you know, or on standing or perched or on the ground, which I think is very helpful. That is, yeah, I read that. So when they're perched on the ground or in flight, a lot is the flight uh, part of the app, is it actually video? Uh, the no, the flight I don't think is video, but I think it does describe. Um, it, it shows their wing formation when you're looking below them, um, and I think it also has like a description of their flight behavior. Like, is this a soaring type of bird, or do they, you know, how intermittently do they flap their wings? That type of thing. That is cool. Yeah, the, and then the coolest thing I think is to you can listen to various sounds and calls of every bird species on the app as well so and it doesn't have just like one call you can go to a bird and there will be like five or the spring s- call the yeah summer call. that's cool uh my my number one fan is on the phone 
my wife, Michelle, from Elliot, <laughs> uh, which um, Casey is from Elliot as well. So we have some uh, <laughs> a common, um, one common thing. So, Michelle, uh, you have a question? No, I have a comment, actually. Oh. I'm going to make Casey's day because you can get Merlin ID on your Apple because that's what we use. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> there we go. So yeah, they must have updated it since I since I looked at these. So that's well, there we go. So I guess yeah. first so thing I'm going to be doing it. after this, John is going to be downloading that. <laughs> yeah. And John, that's the one when you said to me, "What's that app again that we can look the bird up?" That's the one we use, Marlin ID. So that's the one you can take a picture of it, and then the Merlin uh, identifies it. Well, I don't. Mine doesn't have the picture, but. Um, I think you're confusing that with one of the flower ones that we do. Um, but it does, it leads you down a path of what size is your bird, what color, where did you see it, and, and then it's able to identify. That's how we identified the hermit thrush. Yes, yes, we have a little hermit thrush hmm. all by himself. He comes and visits. With uh, We have like six bluebirds. Oh, wow. We're giving a lot of, uh, we call them French fries, but yeah. mealworms. Yeah. Uh, and they're just there every day. They're going nuts. Oh, interesting. So fascinating show, guys, and thanks for stop talking about ticks because I was itching and feeling gross for a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's a hard research area to be involved in. <laughs> <laughs> That's not as bad as some of the people on the biology side of the project who have to actually actually collect ticks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they. Yeah, It's uh, they're out there and brushing around in the leaves yeah. and uh, yeah 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 i know <laughs> i was doing a research oh, project down in florida this when i was a graduate student with my friend i was helping him trapping mice in little mice traps and this is in florida and we went out in the evening to collect the traps and we got back to our campsite we were covered with ticks i mm. mean we were like it was like a, uh, a sheet of ticks on us and we freaked it took us like an hour to get them yeah, oh. like hundreds, hundreds of ticks. We didn't even know it. Wow. It's just like, uh, uh, are we uh, going to take a break? Uh, and we'll get back to Casey. Uh, please uh, stay tuned, and um, we'll go and uh, meet you on the other side. Thanks. Thanks, John. This is John Greenman, and I'm just going to take the opportunity now to give you uh, a phone number, which you probably have heard of before, 1-800-643-6273. We are in the middle of our fundraising week, and we're very happy to tell you that we're doing really, really well in one area, the money area. That's really great. But you know what? There's another area that we have to be concerned about, and that is the number of new members that we can attract to join our fold. And we have a usually it's a, a 100 new member goal on each fundraising um, event and um, it's the same this time it's 46 we're at 46 now before the end of our fundraising on Saturday we we're really hoping to get 54 more people to join up because that figure is not just pulled out of the air uh, for any particular reason other than it means the future of WERU is sure it really does depend on new members coming forth now if you have been a member and you're no longer a member if you join us now, you could be a new member, and that would go towards that total. 1-800-643-6273. I've been looking at the um, collection of, fundraise, of um, 
uh, public affairs programs that we have today. And um, aside from Let's Talk Animals, coming up is the main show with uh, main people with uh, Ben Sprague and then Radioactive with Meredith DeFrancesco. And of course, every day at five o'clock, Democracy Now! is repeated from their morning uh, broadcast. Lots of good reasons for those of you who are interested in public affairs and what's going on around you to get involved. If you've never have before, become a new member now. Think about this as being your opportunity to get involved and make a difference. 1-800-643-6273. And if you do so and you call, your name will be put into a drawing on Friday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, uh, at the end of Democracy Now! for Cyber War. Now, this is a book uh, which is relatively new. It's, uh, it's, it's How Russian Hackers and Trolls Helped Elect a President, What We Don't, Can't, and Do Know. This is by Kathleen Hall Jameson. Cyber Wars can be yours if you call now, 1-800-643-6273. Sign yourself up as a person who promotes and wants to have public affairs programs continue in your ear through the years, and that book could be yours. Let me, let me give the number one more time, 1-800-643-6273. And don't forget, you can sign yourself up also on the web at weru.org. Let's go back to Let's Talk Animals. Good. Thank you, John, for that. And hopefully we'll have some new members um, joining our family. Uh, and if you want to talk to us, you can call at 469-0500 to ask Casey a, a question about using apps to find out more about your backyard and your woodlots. And we're, we were talking about the tick apps. Uh, now we're, going to, we're into the uh, birds, and my wife called to inform me that we're using the uh, the app that uh, Casey really likes, um, the Merlin one. So Casey, who is a graduate student from the University of Maine, is my guest, and he's written uh, numbers of articles about uh, using apps. So let's uh, continue on our bird apps. Did you have anything else about the Merlin, which was um, quite uh, – and, and I guess we can – Apple users can use Merlin now. Yes, so Which unbeknownst to me, yes. yes. Yeah, we learned something new. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think the the diversity of features on the Merlin app kind of really put it ahead of the other birding apps that I, could, um, that I listed. Um, I think the Audubon and Peterson apps are also really excellent. Um, they're, those apps are basically just those field guides translated onto an app. Okay. Um, but I mean, the good thing about that is, is that they're free. So, and you get just as many birds and just as much resources as you get out of the field guide. So if you don't want to pay 20, 25 bucks for a field guide, you can get the app for free and it has all the birds there as well. Okay. And it's convenient. Mm -hmm. Um, you gotta have several books, so to speak on your phone. Yeah, exactly. So I remember I had a knapsack and Mm -hmm. carrying all sorts of stuff. Um, there's another one you had, uh, Sibley, Sibley birds, iBirds, Larkwire. Yeah, so those were three. Um, those are three that I included um, at the end of the article, just kind of as optional ones in case people had a really strong passion towards birding and towards looking at bird apps because these ones are all a little bit uh, pricier. Um, Sibley um, and iBirds are both kind of ID tools, Um I know that they have a lot of good visual stuff um, related to the birds, what they look like, and they have really good bird sound databases as well. Um, they both do have free versions, but 
you're limited about the species that you're able to get. You only get like the most common things if you don't if you get the free version. Um, but, but the pro versions that are more expensive, you get a lot of the other features. Um, and then LarkWire is really good for um, for like bird calls and particularly for learning bird calls oh okay yeah uh, so but, lo- because you pay does it have a really good quality sound does that yeah it does as and as opposed to Mar- uh, merlin or it does really good there's two versions for lark wire there's a land birds and a water bird uh version that they're both um somewhere uh it says 13 for water and 15 for land um, so they're a little expensive, but they're basically learning tools rather than identification tools. So they're like interactive quizzes and stuff that you take oh, to okay. master basically your ability to learn bird calls. Okay, so that's that for the people who really are. Yeah, exactly. It's beyond me, but <laughs> right, me too. <laughs> but yes. So the so the bird uh, apps are they've really come along very advanced. Yes, they've come a long way, and uh, well worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, the another app was uh, I track getting oh, away yeah. from the birds mm-hmm. um, tracking uh, we all especially in the winter but anytime when walking in the woods we'll see tracks and I have a another book on on animal tracks mm-hmm. so how does this one work um, so you're looking at um, I track I track yes so I track is <sighs> iTrack was a really good one because a lot of the tracking apps are not free and they're really expensive. Um, so I liked iTrack because it does come in um, a free version, um, but the free version is is limited. Like I said, you're getting the most basic animals, you know, in the Northeast in New England. Um, but it does have a basic version, I think, that has 40 species for five dollars, and a pro version that has 66 species with 4.99. Um, but I think the basic version has most of what you would be looking for in like the New England area anyways. But yeah, it has a, a lot of really interesting information. Um, it, I don't think it just has tracks. It also has other information like scat, um, different signs of the animal's presence in your area. Like for that bears, is, it has like what images of like what it looks like when they mark up trees and yeah, things like that. Yeah, that is cool. Or, yeah. or a moose. Exactly. You can see the, the, the bark peeled yeah at a certain height or porcupines right yeah, and i think like they have, they have examples of what like browse would look like for certain species too that that's yeah uh, i like that yeah how about i don't know if you know this or not mm-hmm. the an old track versus a new track something that's been real old because it could look different they have so the they they don't just have one track image per animal they, they have a few images for okay. the tracks um so, different substrates, different. Yeah. So, but I'm not sure if they. I don't know if they have anything specific to age, though. So I remember in the <clears throat> in our westerns when the yeah the Native American was looking at the tracks, they could mm-hmm. tell the age because and it, and we all know this that a fresh deer prints can look different. Yeah. Than later in the afternoon when the especially in the snow when the snow is melted. Definitely. Looks larger. So I just wonder if they did that. They do have snow prints. Oh, oh, well, that's w- cool. Which is really useful too for me. I. I don't know about you, but I have a much harder time with snow stuff. I always mix everything up. I just go, oh, look, a little animal <laughs> has been at my feeder. <laughs> then that's, that's, that's all. That's all, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> it's either a rabbit or a squirrel. And that, that's all I got. So now I can – oh, Michelle's probably going to now yeah. expect me <laughs> to know to tell her exactly what animal is in that snow track. Yeah. 
I don't know, Casey, I think you got me in trouble here. I might have, yeah, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> How about iNaturalist? Oh, yeah, iNaturalist is a really cool one. Um, the thing I like about iNaturalist is that it's free and that this is one where users map out things so you can same thing like with the same thing as the other app with you have a gps map that you're looking at kind of like on google earth or something like that and you can mark wildlife you can mark plants you can mark trees um, you can even add photographs so you can mark on a map you saw like if you saw a moose and you took a picture of it you can mark on the map where you saw the moose and add your picture so that everyone else who has that app can look and see like oh wow that person saw a moose at this time on this day and that's where it was. You can see the picture on the trail. Be like, maybe if I go there the same time tomorrow or something. I'll or if they to... saw the moose, exactly, they can match it. Say, hey, it's the same moose. Yeah, exactly. Was... So, how hard is that to do logistically? If you have your yeah, I mean, again, I'm always thinking of just the plain person like me who doesn't know right anything. Um, from what I remember with this app, it it isn't too hard because what you're basically doing is you're just looking at a map and so if you can navigate like a google map and you can look at the features and stuff you can zoom in and you're basically just tapping on your phone and putting a little pin down where you saw it and then once you put the pin down you can click on the pin and it'll open up all these different kind of like tape like fields that you can insert so It'll have an option for you to insert, you know, like a title for it, for what the animal you saw, or a brief description if you wanted to. And then there will be a little option for you to add a picture as well from your phone. And and usually I think the link for the pictures just connects right to your camera library. So so it just takes you right from the app to your camera library and you choose the picture you want. You can upload it. Okay. Now you got me a little bit confused. Oh, yeah. No, so sorry. The, so the picture, you take a picture of the moose. Yeah. So you tap it on the mm-hmm. Thing and, it, and it records uh, in that app, but yet you're saying it's going to store it in your. Well, so if you so the pictures like like if you're taking a picture of like a moose for example, when you take a picture on your mobile phone, it'll save to your to your right. photo library. This is like any like right okay, um, but the app has access to your photo library. You have to allow it to have access to your camera. Okay. Okay. So so once you give it access, then you can access any of the photos within your li- photo library from the app. Okay, so. The map part where you put the little yeah. dot, is that always in the app or is there a is there a someplace in your phone memory? Is it stored someplace or is it just you have to go to the app to get it? I think you do have to go to the app. Is um, that a cloud? I hate to use that word. I think it is. Okay. Yeah, so you don't, so you're not cloud. cluttering up – except for your picture, you're not cl- your apps aren't cluttering up your phone. No. In terms of memory. No. Okay. Um, but uh, I think um, – there are some uh, some apps though that I did wrote about where you're able to um, export things that you have on the app and download them so that you have them on your phone or you can add them to your computer or send them to other people um, and yeah that okay and so that they're shareable and they're exportable and you can take them off of that app but not for iNaturalist I don't think so you're so a person's out, they have their little wood lot, mm-hmm. and they see something really strange, some kind of vine that's crawling up. And yeah. it's, it's not poison ivy. You already had your app for that, so you know <laughs> it's not poison ivy. But there's, uh, it may be an invasive species, which is a real problem yes. in Maine, especially the water. But was just, there are some invasive ones, uh, some vines in the woods now, right? Yeah, especially. I mean, the, in Bittersweet, terms- is that a... Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, yeah, in terms of D 
dealing with tick management. Japanese sparberry is is a big invasive oh. in the state right now, and it's kind of produces breeding grounds for ticks. Perfect really? habitat for ticks. The barberry? Yeah, Japanese barberry. I know in um, in Portland, for example, that's kind of one of their tick management strategies is actually to it's kind of double handed. If we kill the invasive species, we'll also kill a lot of the ticks because it's perfect habitat for them is that because the deer come there and, and i think on, i think mice? it has more to do with the microclimate that the barberry creates because it's a very thick and dense brush and so it creates a lot of like humid and cool and damp conditions kind of like the same effect that leaf litter has on ticks right. that ticks really like oh that's yeah. very interesting mm-hmm. so there is an app for invasive species yeah there's a few a couple so tell us about that we don't gee we're almost running out of time about 10 minutes yeah, having too much fun please yeah this is, this is good <laughs> uh four six zero zero five zero zero to join the fun or you can call four six nine six six zero zero to make a donation to this wonderful station at WERU. We're at Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. John Hunt, your host, and we're talking with Casey, a uh, graduate student who is uh, very expert at apps that will help uh, identify things in your backyard or your woodlot. And we're talking about one for invasive species. Yeah. Um, so there's four insects, which is a really good one from the Forest Service. Um, which I think they created along with the University of Massachusetts. Um, and the good thing about this one is it's it's like a guidebook, basically. So there's really great photos in a bunch of different settings. Um, it's a, it's available free for Apple users. I'm not sure if it's available for Android users. Um, but it has fact sheets. It has like what the damage also would look like, which is kind of useful. I know that it can be really difficult for you if you have a woodlot for you to look at your trees and be like, well, my trees are dying. It looks like maybe something's killing them, but I have no idea what. And this app actually has pictures of damage of like what a forced, like a pest might do to oh, your so trees. It's not, it, so it's just not plants. It's not just it's plants. Like the, and it's the, also yeah, insects. Ash borer and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, those kinds. So it's really great for forest pests mostly. Um, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because yeah. we do have a caller. I don't want this oh, person no. to be waiting too long, but we'll go right back to that. This is fascinating. Uh, Chris from Warren. Good morning. Good morning. How are you folks today? We're doing great. Good. Here's my question. Um, you said something about Japanese barberry and bittersweet and how those things um, are evidently habitat for ticks. But I have also noticed that when birds such as robins are staying around later and later in the year, that it's food for birds. So how do you balance making sure that there's food for the birds who are terribly threatened with getting rid of the ticks who are terribly threatening to us? And I will listen to your comments offline, and thank you. Thank you, Chris, very much for calling. Uh, I'm going to just uh, defer over to Casey. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, I have some thoughts, but what, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I would be interested in hearing what you have to say, too. <laughs> no, that's a tough question. Um, I know because one of the most common uh, strategies for reducing presence of ticks on personal properties is to move your bird feeders and stuff away from the house because the seed that spills can attract mice, white-footed mice in particular, who are um, harborers of disease and of the ticks of ticks themselves. Yeah. Um, but now that's a really good question. A lot of um, what brings ticks to personal properties has to do with like, the microclimate. So if there's a lot of leaf litter, um, if there's a lot of shade, um, uh, they don't like dry and extremely hot conditions. Um, 
So a lot of creating those conditions um, can help reduce your ticks, your tick presence on your property. But I know that a lot of birds also do like those conditions. A lot of birds like having a more open kind of canopy and with more light and more space between the trees and with more cleared out underbrush and stuff if you have a woodlot and things like that. So, Well, it's, it's a difficult question. First of all, yeah. we're dealing with an invasive species. Yeah. So they shouldn't be there. So the question, and I'm keeping Chris in mind here, uh, the question of... Uh, is invasive species food for robins? What are the natural species food for robins? Yeah. So we want to replace the invasive species because they they do harm in other ways, not just the ticks, but they do they choke out other animals. So if I were a town, I would look at and we'll use Chris's example because it's a great one. Um, what what can we do to improve robin habitat? Yeah. And in, and increase a local species and get rid of the invasive because the invasive has such other negative connotations. Yeah. Maybe hopefully that answers your question. I think um, some of the research that the other collaborators in within my lab and within the project that I'm working on, they're looking at what types of forest management strategies are best for overall ecosystem health. And so I think that's kind of the focus is what's optimally best for our environment. And because our environment is changing, mm-hmm. that that will change. Also, a lot of our insects are being threatened. Not, I'm talking the inde- uh, uh, indigenous ones. Yeah, uh, f- there's a lot of stuff going on that we need to address. And I think Chris Chris's uh, point is very well taken. Is we need to establish uh, proper habitat and food for our indigenous species. Yeah. We just have to have the right kind. And I think that's that's the, that's the big thing. What else? We tell we're running out of time. Um, what else? What other invasive species uh, apps? Yeah, because uh, so that was a good one. So there's which one did you do? I, four insects, and that's um, so that tells you what a like a an ash tree would look like if yeah. it's got four. Yeah, because you don't four. know. And probably does it do at different stages, like early different stages. That's really that's different. Important. It does, and it also does different pests for specific trees because some trees are susceptible to multiple types of pests and insects yeah um in terms of like looking at um plant stuff the two ones that i would recommend are um eye pain um, p-a-n-e which is the invasive plant atlas of new england um which is a really great database for all known invasive species in new england um, it's, That's because it came out of my alma mater. Yeah, it did. University of Connecticut. It did. Just want to plug that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so this is a really good one for identifying those types of things. It's free for both Apple and Android. Um, the other one, especially if you are concerned with doing something about invasive species, is IMAP Invasives. Um, and the reason I say that about doing something is because this is the app that is um, used by the Maine Natural Areas Program for monitoring and controlling the spread of invasive species in Maine. Um, And so they actually use this this data that users put in themselves to kind of make decisions about invasive species and where they are in the state and what should be done about them. So you can go on the app and kind of like the iNaturalist app, you can pinpoint locations on where you've seen invasive species. And I think you can add photos as well and things like that. And you can put GPS coordinates. And uh, there is a... Outsmart invasives? Yeah, so outsmart invasives. Sounds um, intriguing. Yeah, that one is um, also very similar to IMAP invasives where you can 
um, map put pinpoints on a map you can add photos and you can look at a map and look at where other people have indicated there are invasives present very good so at we got four minutes and i want you to just go over real quick the yeah. two one is the mushrooms there's yeah. one on mushrooms that sounds that looks cool yeah there were two really cool mushroom maps um the first one was uh, Rogers Mushrooms, which is, um, I don't believe that the app is free. It has a light version. But the full app costs $4.99, but it is one of the most sophisticated and comprehensive mushroom ID apps that you're going to get. And it has an ID tool, it has an advanced search tool, and it has a journal that you can eat and that you can uh, enter things in, and it has a guide to cooking and eating the mushrooms that you find. Whoa which I think is a really cool feature. So it can be fairly uh, safe when you pick a, a mushroom that's edible. Yeah, I mean, they do have disclaimers, you know, <laughs> that, you know, you have to... <laughs> You, you have to make you have to make the identification decision yourself, but <laughs> at least we don't have uh, invasive death cat mushrooms like they do out in Washington State. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they're starting to have presence of death caps ouch, out there. Ouch. Yeah. And then for people who are into managing their woods, I mean, yeah. actual trees, there's some – this is our final app before we leave. We only have a couple minutes, got mm-hmm. two minutes. Um, the best one you think, uh, someone who's just looking at uh, – um actually harvesting for harvesting um plot hound is really good it's like a timber cruise application so that's really good for managing timber and making those types of like decisions about what types of timber value you have on your land um and that app is free and that's a good one um, so you just plug in the diameter and yeah you can input in all your stand inventory and it just tells you how much you, how much money you're gonna make yeah that basically. kind of, yeah you can map out your plots and your stands and all those sorts of things, record measurements. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, Another really cool one is uh, Planometer. Um, Planometer and GPS field area measure are kind of the same thing, but Planometer is really cool because it uses GPS location, kind of like Google Earth, and on the app you can draw lines and you can draw polygons and it'll do measurements for you using GPS information. So you can to capture the area of different parts of your land or you can capture like the distance between two points on a map on your yeah. property and stuff. So that's really good, I think, for forest like planning and stuff. Very good. I think we've run out of time. I want uh, to be here with Casey another hour. I can <laughs> easily do it. He's a wonderful guest. Uh, his articles are in the um, Maine Woodlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a... Uh, it's a journal that from the uh, Maine Woodland Owners, um, formerly Small Woodland Owners of Maine. Thank you very much for coming, yeah. Casey, and good luck on your PhD. Oh, thank you. Will you come back? Yeah, anytime you want me. Okay, we'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah. I, I know it would be easy to talk to you. <laughs> so I'd like to say goodbye for now. Uh, please, uh, this is Dr. John Hunt from Let's Talk Animals, uh, from Aardvarks Zebras. Remember, enjoy your pet, and don't forget to give them a hug. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson said in 1786, Our liberty depends on the freedom of the press, and that cannot be limited without being lost. 
Is the free press now the enemy of the people? That's the question a panel of 